Former President Jacob Zuma's legal team has pulled what it believes is its trump card, an exceptional and extraordinary circumstances created by the National Prosecuting Authority, acknowledging that the delay in bringing Zuma to court on 16 charges, including fraud, corruption and racketeering, was not enough to secure a permanent stay of prosecution. His lawyer explained that an extraordinary circumstance, which has been take, has to be taken into account, did in fact exist, but we do have Manny Vitz, who's an advocate, will give us a bit more insight into exactly why Jacob Zuma might be escaping. We call him Punyuka Bempete, whether you love him or hate him, he is part of the headlines and in the news again. Manny, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. How are you? No, Roshanga, evening and evening to you and the listeners. Very well, not complaints. So what is it that is new? It went from 16 charges. We, 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 we all believe that Jacob Zuma is guilty. We've seen the different allegations. But why is it to finally put the nail in the coffin in this and just put it to bed? Well, I think first of all, I think you need to just rephrase. I don't think everybody thinks that he's guilty. He's an accused. He was a suspect. And he's entitled to a fair trial and a speedy trial. Mm. And only the presiding judge, whoever he or she is, if the matter proceeds, will make the decision whether he's guilty or not guilty. So I think you need to take that as your starting point. Mm. But what he's decided to do, which is actually quite interesting, the Constitution, since it came in, the interim Constitution in 1994, and in the permanent Constitution, Mm. Act 108 of 1996, there's a Section 35 with a whole lot of subsections doesn't matter whether you're the ex-president Zuma, whether you're the man in the street or the woman in the street, everybody's entitled to their constitutional rights. And two of the most important aspects are firstly that whoever you are, and it makes no difference whether you're a former president Mm. or a president or a mayor or a member of parliament, you're entitled to a fair trial and you're entitled to a speedy trial. Mm. Those are two of the essential elements upon which they're arguing. And they're saying, listen, this has been delayed for 15 years. How can you now expect our client to have a fair trial? And they've also obviously thrown in the political side of it, the tape recordings by Leonard McCarthy, who was then very senior in the Scorpions, as it then was, and one or two other people. And they're trying to shift it over and say, well, there's so much political interference, you making Mm. our client the victim. And uh, ex-President Zuma should get a fair trial and he should get a speedy trial and you've, mm. you've denied him both. That's really, in essence, what they're arguing. And what of the spy tapes, uh, which were recordings of uh, phone conversations between uh, Bulelani Nuga and former Scorpions boss Leonard McCarthy, McCarthy discussing the timing of for prosecuting Zuma in a, order to boost the chances of Thabo Mbeki winning re-election? Does this make that evidence tainted? I don't think they really need to use that evidence. The defense are using it as their so-called crumb court to mm. show that there was some type of political interference. But normally when these matters proceed, if the matter proceeds, depending what the uh, full bench, the three judges decide, and what your listeners need to know, the reason why they've appointed mm. three judges 
to hear the legal argument. It's not a trial. Mm. It doesn't say whether he's guilty or whether he's not guilty. There's no evidence led as to whether he did any wrong mm. or as to whether he has any defense to the charges. It's merely legal submissions, and that's what your listeners need to know. Mm. Three judges, you have to get a result. You're either going to have it 3-0 in favor of one party or the other, or 2-1. You can't get a, a split bench. Mm. So that's why they've appointed three judges and three senior judges, all very, very competent and mm. all very well-versed in the law. So they're going to make their legal, they're busy making their legal submissions, and at the end of the day, what the court will then decide. And I can assure you, mm. whichever way it goes, and I can assure the listeners, I'm quite confident of that. Mm-hmm. After 41 years in practice, and I'm still practicing as an advocate, mm. one of the other parties will take it further on appeal, either on a legal issue or potentially on a constitutional issue, whether you've been given the right to a fair trial and a speedy trial. So, for example, if the ex-president Zuma wins mm-hmm. and they grant a stay of prosecution, can guarantee you the state will apply for leave to appeal that decision because they'll want a final decision by a higher court, mm. even though this is three judges. But they'll want to either go to the Supreme Court of Appeal to a full bench of five judges. There's always the odd number. Mm. You get a result. You'll either have it 5-0, 4-1, or 3-2. You mm. have to get a result. Mm. Or they'll go to the 11 judges of the Constitutional Court if they raise a constitutional issue, which they seem to be raising on a fair and speedy trial. That seems to be their trump card. Despite tapes, I don't think mm. it, it's not going to take the matter that much further, but that's obviously for the three presiding mm. judges to decide. They've read a lot of excerpts out. There definitely was some type of talk. There was some type of, uh, if one wants to call it a hidden agenda. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't affect the merits of whether the ex-president is guilty or not guilty of the charges that he's been charged with. So that is the problem that he faces. So normally you leave it to the presiding judge in a trial to decide to exclude the evidence or to admit the evidence. That's normally what happens. But it's very rare that you get a stay, mm. a final stay of prosecution. It happened in a recent matter where I was involved, where they did give it, but there were a lot of different circumstances. It didn't involve spy tapes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, mm. and they gave a final stay of prosecution in a, a big diamond trap, illegal diamond trap, we always involved initially um, with an attorney, Cliff Alexander, mm-hmm. for some of the accused in the matter. But normally, if you look at the law reports and you go all the way through to the Constitutional Court, Supreme Court of Appeal, um, this final stay of prosecution, they always seem to really think that unless it's something really, really major, mm-hmm. where your constitutional rights have been infringed or impinged upon, and that a trial court, a trial judge can't decide it, um, they normally let the matter proceed and let the presiding judge decide on whether the constitutional rights have been affected. But the way they're going about it, this four days for legal submissions and arguments, mm. fails the uh, French arm dealers and for the ex-president Zuma, I think it's the correct way to deal with it because you're going to get a legal decision, not on the merits, not whether mm. he's guilty mm. or whether he's not guilty. They're not going to deal with that. Okay. They're going to purely deal with these legal submissions and arguments, and they're going to deal with the constitutional issues, whether his rights will be permanently um, infringed and impacted upon. And what they normally do in cases of this nature, they raise the ground and say, well, you know, 15 years have passed. Mm. Apparently one witness might have possibly deceased. But, you know, you don't know what the state 
who have, ma- have to make disclosure. They've really given disclosure to uh, the defense of all the statements, all the witnesses they intend calling. They might still think they've got a strong enough hand and strong enough witnesses that they don't need to call that particular witness. Or the people who work for sales don't work there anymore. Mm. But it's not hard in the modern world to find them and see whether they're available and whether they'll give evidence or whether they can advance the case against either of the parties. Mm. So those are the grounds that they're using to say, well, you know, you can't come 15 years later, mm. including our own client. Mm. People have, uh, they can't cross-examine. Uh, they've memory loss, mm. arms have changed, documents might have been misplaced. You raise all these various grounds, but I think you really go, and what the listeners need to know, mm-hmm. you really go on whether or not your right to a fair trial and your right to a speedy trial. And mm. the speedy trial part's quite interesting because this court will have to decide, well, who's been the cause of all these delays? Mm. Was it the state or was it um, the ex-president or mm. the president as he then was? Was it his legal team and was it him himself or was it uh, the state? Who caused these delays? And that's what the court will look at. So there's going to be some very interesting legal decisions Mm. and findings that the three judges will have to make in their judgment. No, that's a very well-weighted um, argument indeed. Thank you so much, Manny Vitz. Of course, he's the ad- we're speaking to Manny Vitz, if you just joined us, is an advocate at the Bridge Admission of Society of Advocates. And we're talking about the Jacob Zuma case. Thank you so much for just giving us the objective stance to this. I don't think I've ever heard anyone speak so objectively about Jacob Zuma and the assumptions, of course, and mainstream media and how he has been uh, accused and all of the accusations may lead you to feel or, or think a certain way. But... Um, what about the utterances from Jacob Zuma himself with regards to misleading some of his supporters with acquittal utterances? We know that he has misled his supporters, telling them that the NPA has been hell-bent on charging him with corruption, even though five judges had acquitted him of the charges. But Zuma was not acquitted. Hi, Manny. Hello. So, yes, no, I'm still listening. So I'm, I'm just um, asking about the misinformation uh, about Jacob Zuma being um, acquitted, and um, why, why does he? Why do you think maybe there's a grey area or so much misunderstanding to this case? Is it a media thing? Because we get blamed by the media. I talked about how we wouldn't have anything to talk about if it wasn't for Jacob Zuma. Yes, yeah, so look, he hasn't been acquitted of anything yet. These charges that he's now facing, these charges of corruption, mm. in terms of the. Uh, the Combating of and Prevention of Corruption Act, which is the new act that came, well, it's not that new, it's already mm. 15 years old, from 2004 upwards with one or two amendments. He hasn't been acquitted of that at all. Mm. So, you know, till he gets acquitted by okay. a court of law and he's told that he's not guilty and acquitted of the charges, mm. um, he's entitled to have his say, he's entitled right. to give his feelings and vent his feelings. Mm-hmm. But it will only be when a court of law and a presiding judge whoever the judge is, whether it's a he or she, makes a decision after hearing the evidence, weighing up the evidence, seeing whether there's a legal defense to the charge or whether the state who bear the onus of proof, they have to prove beyond reasonable, Mm. they've got to prove beyond any reasonable doubt that he is guilty of the offenses with which he's been charged. And if he's got a legal defense, or if at the end of the day the state and Mm. the judge looks at it and the judge might even sit with assessors, might sit with expert witnesses if need be, they can appoint two assessors. What will then happen at the end of the day is they have to decide after hearing the totality of the mm. evidence, all the evidence, all the documentation, 
and decide whether they accept one version or reject the other version or whether they can draw inferences that he is guilty or he's not guilty. Mm. So there's quite a lot that still goes into it Mm. before you come to a final decision. Mm. And only when a court is pronounced that he's not guilty. And as you know, one party or the other Mm. can then take it further if they're not happy with the decision of that single judge. Because this will be the the trial, if the trial does proceed and he doesn't succeed in the final stay of prosecution, it will proceed before a single judge, either a he or a she, whoever gets appointed. And if you're not happy with that decision, whether it's the state or whether it's the defense, you still have your rights to appeal and take it further. A simple example, you look at uh, Mr. Oscar Pistorius' mm. matter. Mm. He originally was found guilty of culpable homicide. The state then appealed. The matter then went further. He was then sentenced. There was another appeal. Mm. It went all the way through. He then tried to get a constitutional issue. Constitutional court didn't give him leave to approach the constitutional court. Mm. And he went through all the appeal processes, but so did the state. So it's not the end. Mm. So one judge will make a decision after hearing the evidence if the matter proceeds to trial. But I think the listeners must first wait and see, Mm. and I think the public Mm. need to wait and see what the three judges decide on a legal basis. Mm. Because this is purely legal argument, not whether you're guilty or whether you're not guilty. They will then simply decide and give a proper, well-reasoned and well-set-out judgment saying, well, there should be a permanent stay of prosecution and these are the reasons why, or we believe that all these issues, even though they are constitutional issues, let the judge who deals with the trial, let him or her decide whether the evidence should be admitted or excluded. That's what's going to happen in this matter, Mm. depending upon the decision. So there's still a lot lot of processes and um, um, procedures that still have to be concluded. So it's going to take time. So unless they fast-track it, like they did with the Oscar Pistorius matter, Mm. that really got a little... Because I think it was... Even though it was the people that were involved, the Mm. late Riva Steenkamp, her family, Mr. Pistorius Mm. himself, Mm. that was really quite a fast-track. Because, I mean, I I Mm. do these matters. They take years Mm. and years and years. Uh, so, you know, we what's the difference here, man? One way the, or another. What's the difference? Because I, I, I want to know do we have, um, does, does the state have prosecutors who have the, the, the ability to, to, to prosecute and handle this case as, as efficiently as, uh, as, as, as we'd like? Is there an issue with regards? I, I, I like, um, I, I, I heard that you said that there's a, there's a panel of judges who are experts and who are competent enough to handle this case. Why only now? What, what's, what's been the difference before? No, no, no. They've had good judges all along. There's mm. been no problem with the judges. And the prosecutor, I know him well, Billy Downer from Cape Town, he's mm-hmm. excellent. I mean, he's, he's very experienced. He's well-versed. He's good. Mm. And the state have now done something even better from mm. the state's point of view. They brought in a private advocate from the Johannesburg Bar, Vim Trengrove Senior Counsel, mm. to do the legal submissions on whether or not there should be a permanent stay of prosecution. And, I mean, you'll see when you hear him, he's, he's excellent, he's mm. precise, he's to the point, he's competent. And then sales have got a very good advocate from Cape Town, Anton Katz, a senior mm. counsel, mm. very academic, and he really knows his law, and he researches all over the world. Mm. So, you know, there's very good legal arguments that everybody's put forward. And the yeah. states have pulled in Vim Trengrove, senior counsel, and um, the judges are really going to have, they've got heads of argument, They've got authorities, both mm-hmm. local authorities, 
from the South African courts all the way up to the Constitutional Court, mm-hmm. as well as international cases dealing with stays of prosecution. So they've got a lot of material that they have to go through and arguments and submissions, mm. and they'll then decide between the three judges. So normally what happens is when you do these appeals, mm. the judges here, they've got heads of argument, written heads of argument. They hear the submissions that are made by the different counsel. They give you the right to reply. Then they will reserve judgment. You're not going to get a judgment when this matter finishes on Thursday. Mm. I think the listeners must know. I'd be very surprised if they're in any position. It's going to take a while to take this all in and then okay. give a well-reasoned judgment which way you decide to go, whether his rights, the ex-president's rights, have been impinged upon mm. and there should be a permanent stay of prosecution or not. Then, as I said, whichever way it goes, one party or the other, you always get a happy party and mm. you get an unhappy mm. party. Mm. They've got their right to appeal. But you can't just appeal automatically. You have to apply for right to appeal mm. and you have to show reasonable prospects of success at another court looking at the same legal submissions and argument mm. would have come to a different conclusion. So you're now asking people who've either found for you or against you to really disabuse their minds and say, well, maybe we were wrong. Maybe another court would come to a different decision. Mm. So there's quite a process that needs to be followed still. And um, I think uh, we're probably going to be in for a long run because mm. the simple answer, as I'm saying, yes, you can't fast track it. What about mm. the man in the street or the man who's sitting mm. awaiting trial? Mm. He's been in custody for a year or two. Why should his case be put behind? Mm. Because you want to deal with the ex-president's case and get it through quicker. You can't really do that. Mm. But at the end of the day, because of the way that the procedure works, these things take time. You've got to really wait for your chance. I mean, when you get to Bloemfontein, there's only X number of judges. The Constitutional Court, there's 11 judges. Mm. They've got a heavy role. Mm. They've already probably got the role. They're already starting to plan up to the end of this year. They only sit the four terms, and they've already got to start doing for next year. So, you know, either way, whichever way you go, I think the listeners must know whoever the party is, the happy one or the unhappy, the winner or the loser, you're in for quite a long run here before you get a final decision. Mm. on what the answer is going to be. So, I think Manny, we, we, we are often that. guilty as citizens and the public and listeners and even the media of not paying attention. What should we pay attention to as this case progresses? I think what you should really pay attention to is really look at two very, very simple aspects. Mm. Has the ex-president's rights been infringed upon or not? Has he been denied a fair trial because of spy tapes and the Browse report and all these other aspects? and the delay because now witnesses and exhibits and documents might have gone missing and he would have had it 15 years ago and he could have gone on trial with Mr. Shabir Sheikh mm. in 2005 or have the state been in any way prejudiced? Because really when you make a decision like this, what the judges have to do, they have to see whether there's been any prejudice and who has suffered the prejudice. Is it the ex-president who suffered the prejudice? Have his rights been affected? Or is it the state? If they don't allow them to proceed with the trial, will they suffer prejudice Mm. and have their rights been affected? That's really the thing that the listeners need to look out for. There's a lot of sideshows, unfortunately. Mm. I mean, they're entitled to make submissions and raise legal arguments. But if you want to simplify it for your ordinary man and woman in the street mm. who needs to follow and who needs to do it either via the media or the radio, mm. the easiest thing to look out for is that. Look at your Section 35 of the Constitution. It applies to every person in South Africa, whether you're a citizen or whether you're visiting or whether you're a foreigner, or whether you're supposed to be or not supposed to be, you've mm. all got constitutional rights. 
have a look at Section 35 and see have these rights been infringed or impacted upon to such a degree that you won't get a fair trial or a speedy trial. That's really what you've got to look out for. So, Manny, it is a bit late and uh, we're very honoured to have the insights no, and all. experience that you have. So, we've got a listener who would like to ask you a question. Are you willing to take sure. it? All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Amo in Fluorov. Good evening and welcome to the show. So, yes, yes, Wasanga. Uh, I wanted to ask a question about, uh, like, what is the, the, the test, you know, the test between if it's a criminal crime and this procedural one, like, uh, it, don't, don't, are the chances of these two cases affecting each other? Like, when, if the states uh, uh, get what they're looking for and they go back to the criminal trial, can the aspect of this case also interfere on the criminal case? Do they go hand in hand or are they completely different? Um, I think the answer is very, very simple to that. They can look at these other aspects and they can then decide whether it was of such a nature that he won't get a fair trial. It's one of the factors that they must most definitely look at. Because something, if you look at the transcripts and if you look at the recordings, Definitely something was afoot there. There was some hidden agenda there. But whether that will affect whether he was involved in corrupt activities, in accepting bribes or receiving bribes as the allegations against him from Thales, mm. which is the French arms manufacturer, mm. in relation to those corvettes and submarines which supposedly did work or didn't work or whatever it is, and the public and the members of South Africa, the citizens, all us taxpayers, mm. ended up paying billions and billions of rands for for uh, submarines that don't really work apparently or don't work the way they were supposed to, is and was he involved in that? Did he receive money and in exchange did he give them a contract or was he party to it, him and Mr. Sheikh? That's really what the court would have to decide on trial. Whether he was a political agenda to get rid of him before the elections, whether they decided let's prosecute and let's charge him now, that is something that's constitutional, but it won't affect the merits of what he's charged with, but it's a factor that you will definitely take into account, and that's what the legal submissions and part of the legal submissions in the Trump card is Absolutely. that they're raising, because they always use that mm. and those secret tapes. They were always using that as their representation, as their Trump card, why the matter should not proceed. But then, of course, the allegation was that because he was the president and because he appointed the director of public prosecutions, Mr. Bululani Mika, I think it was at the mm. relevant time, um, was he in any way um, compromised? Manny, we're just running out of time. I'd just like to thank you so much for your time again. We, it's, if you just missed it, it's Manny Vitz, Advocate of the Bridge Admission to Society of Advocates. Thank you so much for your time, Manny. Only a pleasure, any time. All the best. Yeah, hope to speak to him in the near future. It's very, I think, well-weighted discussion. And maybe you can, we'll take some of your opinions and cause after the news. It's two minutes before 11.